0: It is great to worship with you again, our great God who loves us and is for us. Today we're going to see again how gracious our God is. He's going to give us yet again good news that what his Son has done for us is for each of us, for each of you, for me. As we continue our study in the book of Acts, if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 16, we're going to come into different contact with different folks and realize man, this good news of the gospel, it's truly amazing for you, and for me. His name? Shia LaBeouf, or pronounced Shia LaBeouf, as if it were one word. A Hollywood actor who was a boyhood star, maybe you knew him from Even Stevens, Uh, maybe you recognize him from the childhood movie Holes, Uh, Later in life, uh, an actor with movies like Transformer and many others, and now currently in the movie Fury. Shia LaBeouf had an interesting year. And this year alone, uh, he was accused of plagiarism. He showed up at events wearing some really weird masks. He did some interesting things he called art, and he even spent some time in rehab. According to some recent accounts and reports, Shia LaBeouf has become a Christian. and a quote I read, he says this, I became a Christian man, and not in a blankety-blank, let's just say, Bullroy kind of way, but in a real way. I could have just said the prayers that were on the page, but it was a real thing that, that really saved me. And you can't identify unless you've really gone through it he further commented that he had a, quote, full-blown exchange of heart, a surrender of control. And that interestingly, he had this experience on the set of Fury. Uh, Fury is a World War II film about uh, tank, uh, guys in tank battle. Uh, And he played a character that was a Bible-quoting soldier that they nicknamed the Bible. It said that he had conversations with Brad Pitt. And Brad Pitt, at one time, grew up as a Christian, uh, raised a Christian, and actor David Iyer, who is still one. Let me ask you a question. Do you think it's real? Do you think it's real for someone uh, like this, Shia LaBeouf, uh, to have a conversion experience? What happens when the gospel encounters Shia LaBeouf? Is it real? I believe it is. I do. I believe the gospel can change anybody. We've been looking at these encounters. Uh, We've been looking at encounters in the the book of Acts, specifically uh, encounters with the gospel of Jesus Christ with all sorts of people. And the primary person that we have been following that's carrying these encounters is Paul himself. In some ways, kind of like Shia LaBeouf. Someone who had absolutely an incredible, full-blown exchange of heart. Someone who went from hating Christians, persecuting Christians, killing Christians, to living his whole life trying to make Christians. A surrender of control. One who uh, really was a religious guy who had control over his life or, or looked to God, but once he met Jesus, he surrendered all control. This morning, we're going to look at the power of God, the gospel of God, and that power that really can save those who believe, all sorts of people. But first, a few words about Shia LaBeouf. I pray it's real. When I heard this story, I prayed, I said, God, I hope this is a real account. And I I really, I started praying, not just for him, I started praying for us. Because you know what makes me nervous about people like this who come to Christ? Us. The church. I feel like sometimes we catch a fish like this. And what do we want to first do? We want to mount them on the wall. And we want to just point to them and say, look what we caught. We caught a Hollywood actor. Isn't it just wonderful for us? And oftentimes we say, you be our spokesman. You represent us. We're going to thrust you to the front of the line and you represent Christ. I hope we give them space to grow. I hope we don't expect them to be without sin. I hope you expect them to be like you and me. When I read this account, I got to tell you, I got excited. And you probably think I'm weird for what I got excited about because when he says, "Man, I became a Christian," and he used words that were really earthy. Okay, I'll tell you, he cussed. And some of us may think, "Well, man, you come to Jesus, and what in the world are you using those kind of language for?" And I'm thinking, "Woohoo! It's real." The guy doesn't know what's going on and he knows that he's still a pagan sinner and he's just talking like he talks. And hopefully in time, he knows that there's certain words that we should use in certain places and we don't. But why I never want him to forget is God loves him no matter what words he uses. And the blood of Christ is absolutely amazing to make all of us new. So I hope that we as a church can love him well and give him some space and ask that he grows to be more like Jesus, just like you and I will grow to be like Jesus. Well, this morning, as we look to the text, we look to Acts chapter 16, we're actually starting Paul's second journey, his second missionary journey, and it's on the heels of Acts 15 and what has happened in the church. It's very, very significant. If you were here last week, and if you love Jesus, you were here last week, um, we looked at something called the Jerusalem Council, and it was a very important part of what was happening in the church, is that there was a debate. What must you do to be saved? What, what do you need? Do you have to join a certain church or have a certain ritual or baptize or circumcision? And what came out of there was really significant. That for you and for me, for all of us, that you're saved by grace alone, surely by God's grace. Through faith alone and, and Christ alone. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the good news is you're saved. And now that decision was reached by like the higher-ups, the uppity-ups in the church right there in Jerusalem. And, and now Paul and, and Silas and, and, and others are going to go and they're going to proclaim this good news. Uh, this is the second journey. Let me show you what happens here. The first journey and the second journey and the third all start right here from Antioch. This is where they first called them Christians. This is where Paul will leave. The, the first journey, Paul and Barnabas went here to Cyprus. And then they went up this way, uh, up eventually into uh, Pisidian Antioch and over into Lystra and Derbe and Iconium, this way. Well, this second journey, they actually come in this way, uh, go into Lystra and Derbe and Iconium. And remember, this is an area that Paul was stoned and left for dead. That was an incredible area. They went back and they told them this good news and they're going to pick up a guy named Timothy here. We're going to learn more about him. And then they continued on their way and, They really wanted to go down here, what was called the uh, province of Asia. Although this is all the continent of Asia, in the Bible today we're going to hear them say they wanted to go to Asia. That's like Ephesus and Laodicea and Colossae, this area. But the spirit of Jesus kept them from going there. Instead, through a vision, they went all the way this area into Philippi. And and eventually will go down into Athens, into Corinth, and and then back uh, uh, via Jerusalem uh, and, and back into Antioch. But let me show you this area. I did not get into Philippi and I did get to Athens and, and uh, uh, Corinth, but we're not going to look at that. The text this morning is just going to be here. Let me show you what kind of port Paul would have left from. It was absolutely beautiful. This is the area he would leave uh, to go to take the gospel to Europe for the first time. And look, look at the waters of the Aegean Sea. Isn't that pretty amazing? Absolutely uh, beautiful. So, this is the trip. This is the news. Let's turn to God's word, uh, hear God's word. Remember, Um, This is a story written a long time ago for folks that, you know, lived a long time ago. But because it's God's word, it's for you and it's for me. These are actually God-breathed words. They're not going to lead us astray. and, And in the original, completely without error. But it's a story of God. It's a story of a God who loves and a story of a God who rescues. And as you sit here today, may that reality change and transform your life. Because it's the power of God. Let's hear God's Word. It's printed for you in the bulletin. It will be on the screen um, as well. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. Again, a place where he was stoned and dragged out of. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. And the tense there of the Greek with was a Greek probably lets us know he's passed away. His father was a Greek. He, Timothy, was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. Now let's pause and say, what in the world? They're on this journey and what are they going to tell people on this journey? Good news, you're only saved by God's grace and faith alone in Christ Jesus. You don't need to be circumcised. So what does Paul do in the beginning of his journey? He circumcises Timothy. Well, why? We'll get to that. For they all knew that his father was Greek. And again, I don't know how everybody knew that this Timothy's father was Greek, but somehow it was a stigma. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. Remember, that decision was, you are saved by grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. So the churches were strengthened in their faith, and they increased in numbers daily. This was such good news. And they went through the region of Phygeria and Galatia. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. That's down in that uh, Ephesus area. And when they had uh, come up to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, which isn't far from ancient Troy. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, first time to Europe, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and in the following day, Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days. And on the Sabbath day, We went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered together. Now, why didn't Paul go to a synagogue? Isn't that his custom? More on that later. And who was gathered to pray? It's the women. Some things never change. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Tyatria, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul, what was said by Paul, this gospel. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she, in the Greek here, it's like she twisted their arms. She wrestled with them. She prevailed upon them. Why? We'll find out in a minute. As we were going to the place of prayer, we, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owner's great gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out. Now, let me, let me hit pause here and say, I could have told you this earlier. Follow Paul and us. Luke wrote this. And by now, he's actually joining the, the journey. It's kind of cool The the uh, pronouns change here. Paul's a part of this, or I should say Luke, who wrote this, is now a part of this. And she was crying out. And when it says crying out, the Greek here is she was shrieking it. I mean, she was screaming it. This was not like pleasant. Oh, hey, there's these fellows over here. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, Turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owner saw the hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Christians. Doesn't say that, does it? These men are Jews. And this is such early Christianity, there wasn't a distinction These men are are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept their practice. The crowd joined in attacking him. And the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison... And fasten their feet, would have to spread them out into these stocks, very painful. Specifically, think of the wounds. About midnight, Paul and Silas, they were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, do not harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Interesting. Jesus, believing in Jesus, is believing in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They've beaten us publicly uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard they were Roman citizens. They broke the law, they shouldn't have done this. So that they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Let us pray. Oh, Father, come with your spirit and the spirit of Jesus and speak through a broken sinner like me. Would you graciously give us ears to hear your voice, minds to understand your word, hearts to embrace your truth, and feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name. Father God, the things that are said that are wrong or just my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of the gospel, that power of God for salvation, would you use those words to make us and shape us more like your son Jesus. May you and you alone receive glory. May we receive joy and challenge and encouragement. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. There's an outline for you in the bulletin if you'd like to follow along. And the way I'm going to preach this sermon this morning is to look at these different encounters with the gospel. There's different encounters that come along our way. And the first one is, is Timothy. We meet Timothy. Timothy's going to have two books of the Bible that were written to him by the Apostle Paul. And the first thing we find out about Timothy, well, he's, he's kind of a mongrel. He's half Jewish. He's half Gentile. And apparently, everybody knew it. As I mentioned as I read the text, his father had probably passed away. I feel a connection to Timothy. Today is my grandfather Blakeman's birthday. A month from today is my grandma Blakeman's birthday, and they're celebrating probably their birthdays together with Jesus. They're they're both with the Lord. And it's my grandma Blakeman that I vividly remember with my mom, uh, Marjorie Blakeman-Jakes, who from Birth from infancy that would love me and would point me to Jesus. I had the joy, I I had the privilege of living my life knowing every day there was a God and there was a God's Son who would come to save sinners like me. I grow up hearing that every day. What a blessing! You see, Timothy also had a godly mother and a godly grandmother. Their names were Lois and Eunice, for 2 Timothy 1.5 would tell us. And, and from the baby, from when Timothy was uh, an infant, they, he heard of God's word. Timothy grew up like many of you, many of you young people even now, in a distinctly Christian home. If they had a Christian school, Timothy would have gone there because of his godly grandmother and mother. And although he, he had heard about the good news of Christianity, we realized that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a birthright. It, it is not something that's passed on to you just because you grew up in a Christian home. And just because you might even go to a Christian school. That doesn't make you a Christian. It's got to become true in your own life. I mean, a, a transfer of faith has to happen. And by God's grace, that baton was passed to Timothy. For it will say in Second Timothy chapter 3, these words about Timothy. And, and I'm going to read these to you. But I got to tell you, the words just before this remind Timothy of how he was treated in his hometown of Lystra and Derby and Iconium in that area. How he was beaten and persecuted for the faith. But he goes on to say this about Timothy. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned. And here's the great news. And have firmly believed. Timothy came to the point where this wasn't just his grandma's faith, his mom's faith, that that this was his faith, that Jesus wasn't just their Lord, but Jesus was his Lord. And knowing from whom you learned it, don't forget Lois, don't forget Eunice, and how from childhood, or you could translate the Greek there, from infancy, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, this is the greatest Christian joy of the parent The successful passing of the baton to our kids when they realize Jesus is for them. Oh, how we long for that. Let me talk to you, young people. Jesus is for you. It's not just your family's faith. We, we pray for you. We're on our knees saying, man, this is... This, it's your Lord. This is your Savior. This is the one who can set you free. This is the one who can make you whole. This is the one who can give you life and life abundantly. We want to urge you, we want to, we want to plead with you, we want to beg you to, en- to embrace Christ as your Lord and Savior. Be like a Timothy who, who, like you, grew up in a Christian home, who, like you, have maybe heard this over and over and over and over and over and over again. And somehow, by the grace of God, it didn't get cold. And somehow, by the grace of God, it didn't get boring. And somehow, by the grace of God, it didn't say, I've heard this all before. But Timmy says, I've come to believe it. And that baton of faith was successfully passed. On to the next generation. May God give us grace that our children will take that which we point them to. As I, as I saw Alan Jones up here baptizing his child. Knowing, I remember Alan growing up here. His, his parents grew, raised him here. And his faith is his own. Well done, young Timothy. So we see that the gospel is for those who grow up in a Christian home. But it's more than that. The gospel encounter with Lydia, someone who is religious, a religious woman. Let's look a little bit at Lydia. See, it says that she's from Philippi, which is a fairly important Roman colony. Uh, history will say that a lot of, for some reason, retired generals lived in that area. It was kind of a place to go. That most likely the Philippian jailer was given a job as someone maybe wounded in war. Uh, those were handed out in that area. I ask you, why didn't Paul go to a Jewish synagogue in that area when he went to Philippi? Well, probably because there wasn't one. There had to be enough Jewish men in a household to make a quorum, to have a synagogue. And so, if there's not one there, they gathered somewhere outside the city like they did to pray. Again, all the women that were present there. Come on, men. Let's get to prayer meetings. Lydia, it says this about them. She's a seller of purple. Purple was a dye that was very expensive. This is telling us a great clue. It's saying this is a woman of means. This is a woman of resource. This is a woman who who has money, uh, who's a merchant. Uh, uh, She's successful, a successful businesswoman, uh, a a woman with, with some dough. This is Lydia, sophisticated. And we also realize religious. She was a worshiper of God. Although she didn't grow up Jewish, she had converted to Judaism, She would say, God's word is the word I want to follow. I'll follow after Torah. And she was a worshiper of God. And yet, what had to happen for her to understand the gospel? You would think she's so prepared. She's so sophisticated. She's so educated. She's so religious. But what had to happen with this encounter? God had to open up her heart to see the truth of Christianity and what Christ has really done. It wasn't like she thought, oh, my goodness, this is great. I'm hearing about Jesus. He is the promised seed to come. He is the Lamb of God that was slain. He is the one who fulfills all the prophets. And he is. You see, religion doesn't give us life. We're still dead in our trespasses and sins. And the gospel is not an add-on to Judaism. The gospel is not one more thing in her portfolio. The gospel is this radical uh, transformation that will make her new. And make you new and make me new. And God opened up her heart to pay attention to what Paul was saying, and the gospel of Jesus Christ set her free. And so she was baptized. I gotta I gotta tell you, woman, you, you're reading this and you, you should be really excited about Lydia. Let me tell you what this means. Lydia, a woman a woman who's not mentioned about having any husband or anybody male in her figure in her house, she was worthy. She was worthy to have the sign and seal of God's covenant of grace and love upon her. She was baptized. But there's more. More than just the fact of how God loved Lydia and set her free in the gospel, not only was she baptized, but her household was baptized. And let me tell you what this means. She was enough in God's eyes to represent her entire household to God. I love what 1 Corinthians 7, 14 talks about as a woman who is a believer married to an unbeliever or maybe a single woman. And it talks about her children. Paul talks about her children in 1 Corinthians seven fourteen, and says, if you have a believing woman, their children are holy. They're set apart, baptize them. Let's make claim in God's covenant promises on their behalf. I love the fact that she was worthy in Christ Jesus not only to be baptized herself. Remember, in the old covenant it was just men. New covenant includes the women. It's a better covenant. And here she is being baptized her and her family. And then she urges them. She twists their arms saying, "Listen, if I, if I'm worthy, if I'm your sister, come come fellowship with me. Come and let the world know what Christ has done through you and, and through me. Come and let us together Proclaim the good news. You see, what this is telling us is that being religious isn't enough. It's not enough. You have to become a born-again Christian. Your heart needs to be open to the gospel. We see it's true for one growing up in a Christian home. We see it's true for a religious woman like Lydia. And the gospel encounter with a slave girl. The next one. A girl who has a spirit of divination. A girl who's enslaved not only by demonic powers, but by earthly powers. A girl who's enslaved to men who are slime. Who will, who will make a good living off of her condition. Who will take the demons inside of her and make money from it. I mean, this, this, is, this is a woman who's oppressed by every way, shape, and form. This is a woman absolute opposite of Lydia. I mean, she's exploited. She's poor. I mean, she's controlled. I mean, it's awful. It's awful. And yet in this passage, she's the one that seems to be the most warm to the gospel because something is happening, some spiritual warfare is going on, that she is shrieking, saying these men are called by the most high God to tell you how to be free, to tell you how to be saved. I guess Paul didn't really like the fact that she was announcing their arrival. Maybe I wouldn't either, you know. I mean, in a way, that was kind of like the herald. Here comes Paul and Silas and some crazy woman screaming after him. They said it happened for many days. Paul said, you know, I've had enough of this. In the name of Jesus Christ, demon, get out of her. And it does. And she's set free. It's amazing the power of God. And and what happens is not only is she set free, but there's something that happens with, with those who were her owners because they were hit in the heart too. It's called the wallet. And that was where their heart was, where your, where your heart is, There your treasure will be. And their treasure was just exposed. They can't make money off this girl anymore. So what do they do? They say, you know what? Let's beat them. <laughs> let's, let's say, hey, Romans don't act this way. Let's drive them into uh, the city square and beat them and, and have them thrown in prison. But God is amazingly showing his power not only for the Christian school kid or the Christian home kid, not only for the religious, but also for the irreligious, also for the women who or the woman who's oppressed by demons and oppressed by sinful men. And let me tell you something, this is basically saying that the gospel's for those who feel like religion is it and it's more than that, and those who are irreligious, and it will set you free. The freeing power of the name of Jesus, Jesus the Christ. I mean, it it completely changed her. The gospel encounter now with the Philippian jailer. I mean, to me, the jailer, if you can picture the jailer, picture a, 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 a Roman, some kind of Roman hero probably wounded, and he's a true patriot. I mean, he's loyal to Caesar. He's loyal to Rome. How do we know he's a true patriot? Because what does he do? He knows if if he's entrusted to prisoners, and no matter what earthquake or anything else, set them free, his life was on the line. And to honor the throne of Caesar, and to be the patriot that he was going to be, he was going to do the noble thing and kill himself. But Paul did the incredibly noble thing. And he stayed. Because Paul knew that if he left, that man was dead. And Paul knew that if anybody else left, that man was dead. And he knew that through the death of one, he truly was freed, And so he stayed. You see... Paul had already presented the gospel and the prayers that he was offering that they were listening to and the songs that they were singing that they couldn't believe that they were being he- uh, heard and sung in the midst of prison. And now the Philippian jailer has an absolute picture of the gospel that is so stunning and life-changing that they stayed They were falsely accused. They had a chance to finally get out, yet they stayed. And the power of the gospel was so much that he would take them out and he'd say, tell me, what must I do to be saved? Jonathan Edwards, uh, uh, American uh, reformer, Uh, the first great awakening was preaching a sermon uh, sinners in the hands of an angry god and the spirit of god fell upon them the congregation it was so amazingly uh real and vivid of the gospel of jesus christ that they were grabbing a hold of the pew and they were shrieking they were crying out what must i do to be saved i tell you every preacher dreams that every preacher just dreams that the spirit of god will come and and touch our hearts and and realize what sinners we are and how gracious God is and what he offers us in Jesus Christ. And we grab a hold of what we have and say, tell me, what must I do to be saved? And here you have this Roman, this jailer, this probably war hero, seeing the gospel and falls apart. Tell me, what must I do? And I love the answer. He says, what must you be, do to be saved? You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, salvation truly is God's grace alone. It truly is faith alone. It truly is Christ alone. Belief. But it's never alone. Faith is never alone. What did he do? He, he immediately washed their wounds. Something he should have done at first. He washed their wounds. They were beaten with rods. I mean, they're oozing and bleeding. And, and, and even the stocks where their legs were in. And now he washes their wounds and he set food before them. The great news is that he was baptized. He and who, he and his household were baptized. And I think about this picture and I I think of how beautiful the gospel is that night. So let's let's say, for example, what if Paul just said, man, I'm free, I'm out of here. And he walks out. What if one prisoner got away? What would have happened to their father, their husband that night? He would have committed suicide. And instead of having death, they have now met their father and their husband who has life. A new man created in Christ Jesus. You think they wanted to know who he was? I mean, do you think they wanted to know the one who would radically change their dad? Such a beautiful gospel. It was for them and their household, and they all together were baptized. And In verse 34, it says, they all together believed in God. And I love this because they believed in Jesus and it shows us the deity of Christ Jesus, our Lord. This picture we have in Acts 16 tells us the gospel is clearly for the one who grew up in a Christian home. The gospel clearly is for the religious. It is clearly for the irreligious. It's clearly for probably the the, the Philippian jailer, the disinterested. It's for you. It's for all of us. Where is it in your life? The last thing I want to look at this morning is this gospel encounter and the hand of God in it and the hand of the messenger, because this tells us a lot about both. The first thing is this the the hand of God in this story, his hand is clearly directing this story. Oftentimes in a good storytelling, you don't quite know who's the mover, shaker. You know, how is the story flowing this way? And, and, and God just so clearly just wants everybody to know, by the way, I'm directing the whole thing. It's the spirit of Jesus that's going to keep them from speaking a word in a certain area. It's the spirit of Jesus and the Holy Spirit going to say, don't go there and come this way. It's God who's going to, through a vision, say, I want you to go that way. And here's the point for us. God still directs our lives and our story. I mean, the hand of God is everywhere. It's, it's in your life, it's in my life. And he's just directing this whole thing so the gospel will be heard throughout the world. Not only the hand of God directs the story, it's the hand of God that reveals that he cares for all kinds of hurting people. What was the vision that he had? It was somebody over in Macedonia, it was somebody in, in, in Europe who's saying, will you please come help us? And we see the, the tender heart of God that he wants to help all kinds of people, men, women, demonic, religious, doesn't matter if what continent you're on. The gospel is for all and God cares for all. And here's what some of you need to hear. God hurts for the hurting. Will you come help us? Will you come? He said, yeah, I'll come. And I, I won't just come with a messenger. I'll come with my son. And I I just won't come to see what your condition's like. I'll come and I'll become your condition. I'll come and I'll die so you could live. I'll come and be resurrected so you could be free. I will come because I care for those who are hurting. What a great God we have. Not only do we see that He directs His story and He cares for hurting people, we see that He calls us to preach the gospel to others. I love verse 10. It's almost one of those chuckle verses. We had a vision. Someone's in Macedonia saying, will you come help us? So we concluded that God was calling us to go preach the gospel to them. See, that's just how God wants to carry his message, through you, through me. God wants to have hurting people come in contact with us so that we could tell them the good news in the midst of even our own hurts, our own wounds. You see the hand of God. We also see the hand of the messenger. The first thing with the hand of the message is this. It cuts away anything that gets in the way in the message. What in the world was Paul doing personally circumcising Timothy at the beginning of this story? He just had the good news. You don't need circumcision to be saved. And the first thing he does is says, let me circumcise Timothy. Why? Because Timothy was half Greek and he was half Jew. And he knew that where he was going, it would be a stumbling block to the Jews. And so he didn't do it with Titus because Titus was all Greek or all Gentile. But he does it with Timothy because he's basically saying you're never saved by circumcision, but I'm going to take anything away from the story that might be a stumbling block. It's basically saying this. We have incredible freedom in Christ Jesus, but I will become anything, Paul will say, to win some. I will become all things to all people that I might win some to the good news of Jesus Christ. How is it with you? I mean, do you... Do, do, Remove every obstacle you can, so that you can be proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was doing. He was cutting away that which was getting away of his message. The second thing is this: we got to see if you are free, free in what Christ Jesus has done. That cannot be beaten out of you or shackled out of you. Worldly bondage cannot take away what God has done for us. Did you see what they were doing in prison at midnight? They were praying and singing hymns. I mean, they're bleeding. They were beaten with rods. I mean, they're they're shackled. And yet the good news of the gospel, the good news that God has loved them and for them has so set them free, the world couldn't touch it. Man, that's good news. It's telling us this. You're gonna go through junk. You're gonna have stuff. You're gonna hurt. You're gonna bleed. You're going to be misunderstood. You might even be persecuted. But if you're his, you're forgiven. If you're his, you're alive. If you're his, you have a freedom and a joy that the world and even Satan can never touch. That is good news. Paul and Silas singing in the chains. And then lastly, they used every card available to them to preach the good news. I gave you that last part of the passage and it talked about how the magistrates wanted to get him out of town kind of quietly. And he said, no, 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 no. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me see what's in my pocket here. Whoa, 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 look at this. I'm a Roman citizen, born in the Roman citizen." I had this, you were breaking the law. No, 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 no. I'm going to use this to advance Christ's kingdom. Now you look at all of scripture and you wonder about the life of Paul. Paul's the guy who would say, I consider everything dumb compared to the surpassing knowledge of Christ Jesus. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Why does he care about being a Roman citizen? He will care when it can be used to advance Christ's kingdom. When it can be used for him to proclaim good news or, or get in and out of certain situations, he uses it, here's a point for you. What is God giving you? A law degree? Doctor, education? What is he giving you? with your house, your family? What is he giving you? What card do you have that is uniquely gifted to you to proclaim the good news of the gospel where you are? Use it. Is Shaba Buff the real deal? I sure hope so. I don't know, but what I do know this is the gospel truly is the power of God to change him because I know it changed me. And I know that Shia LaBeouf is no greater challenge to God through the gospel than Jeff Jakes is, or you are. I think that when we look at his life and we look at these lives, and it's basically saying this, the gospel can save anybody. You can't sit here and say, man, this is not for me. You know, I'm not that religious type. Or, or I'm not this, or I'm not that. I mean, the beautiful thing about this passage is, is the gospel is for all types, all kinds. It's for you. It's the only hope of salvation. So not only can you not sit here and say, this isn't for me because I'm not that, that type. Man, read the Bible, bro. It's, it's, it's all types. Every tribe, tongue, and nation, people, it's everybody. Yeah, I said read the Bible, bro. That was kind of weird. But it also means this. Don't scratch anybody off your list. Who do you just think? There's no way, man. There's no way the dead person can be reached. I mean, there's no way. The gospel is the power of God. You see, if God can save a kid from a Christian home like Timothy, if he can save a religious woman like Lydia, if he can save an oppressed and irreligious slave girl, if he can save an ambivalent patriarch like the Philippian jailer, he can save you and he can save me. You see, this incredible power of God for salvation is to be carried by us wherever we go. Do you believe it? This should be setting you free. That God is for us and God is with us and God loves us and his gospel is true and it's amazing grace. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your grace that gives us this story. and Wow. We see so much in Acts chapter 16. <laughs> we see a kid from a Christian home that needs to come to Christ and believe it for himself. We, we see a religious one like Lydia that she, she had it all in many ways. I mean, she was affluent and a merchant, religious, and yet she needed her heart open to the gospel. And we see one as oppressed and broken by the world and by the powers of Satan set free in the gospel. And Father, we see a patriot like the Philippian jailer, loyal to Rome, become loyal to Jesus. That is the power of the gospel. A complete reorientation of life, of loyalty. Loyalty. Of a God who loves so much he can't stop loving, who has visions to say, will you come help us too? A God who's worth knowing and loving and a salvation that sets us free that even if rods are beaten against our body and even if we're shackled in the inner part of a prison, we can sing, we can pray because in Christ Jesus we're free and we're forgiven and we're yours. And, Father, I pray that whatever you've given to us, that Roman citizen card, whatever is ours, that we'd use it for your glory. That, God, we would have faith that this gospel is for everyone. Women, men, children, slave, religious, irreligious. And it's the only hope for everyone. And thank you that you choose us to be the messengers. May you have glory in this church and in our lives. Receive this tithes and offerings. Bless it to advance Christ's kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.